Today on Off the Cuff Declassified, Robert Mueller's conflicts of interest grow, this time with a Russian oligarch. Patrick Howley, editor-in-chief of Big League Politics, joins me to discuss that and new discoveries in Hillary's previously lost emails. Turkey's Erdogan is recalling Turkish ambassadors to the United States and Israel, and Benjamin Netanyahu had some pretty harsh words after it happened. And the left is still hysterical over a citizenship question on the next U.S. Census. But Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross tells them to calm down. Robert Mueller is falsely accusing President Donald Trump of colluding with Russia, but there's new ironclad proof that Robert Mueller and Andrew McCabe colluded with Russia. A new story from The Hill, uh, then then repurposed and enhanced by Newsmax, really is uh, honestly just blowing my mind. It's blowing my mind. Back in 2007, go back to 2007, a guy named Robert Levinson, a retired FBI agent, was working for the CIA on contract, gathering intelligence inside Iran. He disappeared, presumably kidnapped. Uh, We really don't know what happened to the guy. He might be dead. He might be uh, on ice in some prison somewhere. And um, Levinson was presumably, uh, the the conventional wisdom is that Levinson was out there snooping around Kish Island and Karg Island, where it was rumored that Iran was playing with nuclear weapons, which we now know to be true, right? We now know... Uh, from Benjamin Netanyahu, Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu's press conference a few weeks ago, his disclosures to the world, the Mossad operation, that yielded 105,000 new files that Iran never stopped Project Ahmad. They just changed the names, which was its nuclear weapons program, its, its nuclear material enrichment program for weaponization. So we know that was the case. What probably happened, I don't know, but you don't have to be a uh, master sleuth to figure it out, is that <clears throat> Levinson found something. The Iranians then found Levinson, and the rest, unfortunately, is very bad history. So in 2009, while Mueller was FBI director, he asked Russian oligarch Oleg Deripaska, a name you know, because it's long been alleged that Deripaska is the Russian mastermind, the Putin buddy, behind bribing Donald Trump and making him a Russian asset and a Russian puppet. Here's the problem. The Trump administration has sanctioned Deripaska's companies with some pretty, pretty robust sanctions. Okay, Mueller hired Deripaska, but wait, the FBI didn't pay Deripaska. The FBI asked Deripaska to use millions of his own money. The guy's a billionaire; he made billions in aluminum. They asked him to use millions of his own money to help find Levinson. So Robert Mueller had this longtime relationship with Deripaska an eight-year relationship, working relationship with Deripaska before Mueller came on to uh, the role of special counsel. This is filthy. This is filthy because then Mueller's office leaks and floats that Trump is in bed with Deripaska when Mueller was in bed with Deripaska. Now, as if that's not bad enough, this whole thing gets worse. Guess who the FBI agent was at the time who recruited Deripaska, who reached out to Oleg Deripaska to get him to work with the FBI. Andrew McCabe. I said it here on the show. I don't know how many times I've said it. I say it numerous times, numerous times, numerous times. It always comes back. It all comes back. It'll always come back to Andrew McCabe, the dirtiest guy in the history of the FBI. Filthy. 
Andrew McCabe. So now you've got Andrew McCabe recruiting Deripaska, Robert Mueller approving the operation. Let me read you uh, some pieces from this Hill opinion, uh, some excerpts from this Hill opinion piece. Now, this was written by John Solomon, great investigative reporter. If you don't know Solomon's work, get to know it. Okay. In 2009, when Mueller ran the FBI, the Bureau asked Russian oligarch Oleg Deripaska to spend millions of his own dollars funding an FBI-supervised operation to rescue a retired FBI agent, as I mentioned, Robert Levinson, captured in Iran while working for the CIA. Levinson's mission is confirmed by more than a dozen participants inside and outside the FBI, including Deripaska, his lawyer, the Levinson family, and a retired FBI agent who supervised the case. Mueller was kept apprised of the operation. These are not anonymous sources. Deripaska himself said this happened. The Levinson family said it happened. Deripaska's lawyer said it happened. A retired FBI agent said it happened. Mueller and McCabe never told anyone they had previous relationships. This is uh, really, I mean, this is, this is earth shattering. Deripaska ultimately spent $25 million assembling private search and rescue teams. And they worked with FBI contacts under FBI supervision. And that's when we found out that Levinson was in fact alive. Uh, in 2010, they offered the operation secure and offered a free Levinson. The deal was scuttled because the State Department was uncomfortable with Iran's terms. Now, Robin Gritz, the FBI agent who McCabe sidelined, she worked on this case. She knew Bob Levinson. And I, I, I know Robin Gritz. We've spoken offline. And from what she's told me, that she told me I can disclose, McCabe is a horrible, horrible human being. General Flynn went to bat for her. Mueller and uh, McCabe also railroaded General Flynn. And this new evidence only goes to bolster General Flynn's case. We're going to be talking about some other things that are going to help General Flynn as well. But let's talk about this first. Here's what Robin said, Robin Gretz. said, quote, we tried to turn over every stone we could to rescue Bob. But every time we started to get close, the State Department always seemed to get in the way. I kept Director Mueller and Deputy Director John Pistole informed of the various efforts and operations, and they offered to intervene with state if necessary. Okay. Now, I wish we would have rescued Levinson. He was a career FBI agent. He went to work for the CIA to keep the world safe by spying on Iran. What happened to him is terrible. Uh, the operation was ended in 2011, and Levinson was never found. It's been 11 years since Bob Levinson was kidnapped, and he's gone without a trace. We have no idea where he is. He'd be dead could be stuck in some Iranian prison on ice, never to see the light of day because he just knows too much about what Iran did. And it was disgraceful that through the whole Obama administration, we allowed this career FBI agent to rot in a prison because Obama's State Department, remember this was Hillary Clinton and John Kerry's State Department, allowed this guy to rot because what he knew was too tough on Iran and probably would have blown up the Iran deal. That's what that was all about. Um, this, is, uh, this is really, really bad. What's even worse is that Mueller and McCabe never disclosed to the public, never disclosed to ethics committees that they had a working relationship with Deripaska before uh, trying to use him as this linchpin to frame Donald Trump. Now, this comes on the heels of new information about the second FBI agent involved in the interview 
of General Flynn. Agent's name, and you, pr- you probably haven't heard his name until recently, if you've heard it at all, is Joe Pientka. Special Agent Joe Pientka. Joe Pienka was the agent alongside Peter Stroke who interviewed General Flynn in what really should never have been an interview. They showed up at his White House office uh, acting as if they were interviewing the National Security Advisor, when in reality, they were there to trip the general up and ultimately indict him and charge him on bogus process crimes. Now, full disclosure, I know General Flynn. I've gotten to know the general very, very well. We speak. I know his son, Mike Flynn Jr., very well. He's, he's a friend. I uh, spent a couple of days with him last week. This family has been through hell, and I believe that history will judge General Flynn very, very favorably. Very. Chuck Grassley, chairman of the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee, is up in arms over this. And in a story Sarah Carter did last week, we learn quite a bit. We learn that uh, Joe Pienka never felt General Flynn lied. Uh, he did not feel General Flynn lied. And he was described uh, by the Congressional Committee, Senate Committee as a nonpartisan law enforcement officer. The agent was on detail to the committee staff at the time. According to that agent's contemporaneous notes, Director Comey specifically told us that briefing that the FBI agents who interviewed General Michael Flynn, quote, saw nothing that led them to believe he was lying. Oh, actually, I'm sorry. Uh, yes, that was Joe Pienka. That nothing to believe he was lying. So an agent who was present for the General Flynn interview, who also spoke to Congress, provided his notes to Congress, made it very clear to the Senate uh, Judiciary Committee that he did not believe General Flynn was lying. Now, this uh, Sarah Carter, whose work has been impeccable, writes, quote, according to numerous law enforcement officials I've spoken to over the past year, neither Stroke or Pienka believed Flynn was lying during their interview with him. This is uh, terrible, terrible. Another U.S. official uh, who spoke on background because they weren't authorized, said, quote, there's a lot of these agents, there's a lot these agents can reveal about that day, the day that General Flynn was interviewed, and what former FBI Director Andrew McCabe's role was in all of it. McCabe was apparently trying to find a reason, any reason, to make it look like Flynn was lying. The truth of the matter is, no one thought he lied, not even the agent who hated Trump, end quote. Now, at General Flynn's defense team had this information before they took their plea. And make no mistake, the left is out there saying, Flynn lied, he took a plea, he admitted he lied. No, General Flynn took a plea. This is not a wealthy man. General Flynn took a plea because this was destroying his life. He couldn't afford the uh, uh, soon-to-be insurmountable legal bills that he was incurring fighting these false allegations. Too many people take pleas on these minor charges. Now, General Flynn was a man who served this country for nearly 35 years honorably. He was prosecuted on a bogus process crime of uh, lying to federal investigators. General Flynn wasn't going to spend any time in jail, maybe some light house arrest. You take the plea. It's disgraceful. It's a terrible way to end an honorable career. I believe justice will prevail here. This new evidence is incredibly relevant exculpatory evidence that Mueller withheld from General Flynn's defense team. No defendant on the planet would have taken a plea if their lawyer was in possession of paperwork provided by the prosecution that said 
The two FBI agents who interviewed your client do not believe your client lied. We have no idea why the special counsel charged your client because the agents wouldn't be able to testify in court that they thought he lied. No, as James Comey liked to put it, reasonable prosecutor, whatever, have tried to charge in that case. Robert Mueller did. And out of all the things that Robert Mueller has done, even this, this uh, newfound, massive conflict of interest with Russian oligarch, Oleg Deripaska, out of all of those things he's done, this, this is the worst. Withholding exculpatory evidence that the agents who actually sat with General Flynn felt he was being truthful. I've never heard of anything worse than this. The police come in. They say, we do not believe this person lied to us. And the prosecutors who weren't even in the room say, we don't care what you think. We're charging them anyway. I've never seen anything like it. I caught a guy with a gun in his car. And he was in the car with three other guys. And I didn't think the driver, I told you this story before, had anything to do with it. He was kind of a nerdy kid from the neighborhood. I thought he was afraid of the other three. Driving them around under duress. Turned out to be the case. My partner and I had to put him in handcuffs. We immediately, I mean, within minutes, because the holding cells in the Bronx were in the same building as the district attorney's offices. They typically are in the courthouse. Uh, We went over there to the DA's office. We put this kid, excuse me, in a holding cell. We told the the, uh, corrections officer, we think this kid is innocent. We think he was framed up. Put him, segregate him, look out for him. We're going to try to get him out of here right now. We're going to try to get his, make sure he's not put in there. I don't, I don't want to get this kid beat up. I don't want him hurt. They said, got it, done. They put him in a different cell. He was safe. We went upstairs. We told the prosecutor. You know what the prosecutor said? Great, guys. I'm gonna, you guys were there. I wasn't there. Like, he goes, I, uh, cops do not come in and say this to me. The mere fact that you guys, and you guys are active cops, and I know you guys, you're telling me you don't think this kid did it? That's good enough for me. Where is he? Downstairs in the cell. All right, let me get my boss. Let's do some paperwork. Let's get him out of here right away. And we did. We did. He was out in about 35 minutes. He was out in about 35 minutes. Prosecutors voided that arrest. We had to make the arrest. That was the way the New York state law was written. The prosecutors were able to uh, uh, refuse to prosecute and dismiss it and release him. We got that kid out of there. Prosecutors don't go against law enforcement officers. It's unheard of, especially when the prosecutor wasn't there. In my case, Exact, I remember it vividly. It was over 20 years ago. He said, you guys were there. I wasn't. You talked to him. I didn't. I'm going with you guys. I mean, in our conversation, I remember it so vividly, we didn't even sit down with him. We stood in the doorway of his office, and he popped up out of his chair, and we told him in about 20 seconds to get the paperwork going to get this kid, who we all knew was innocent, out of the cell. That's how this stuff goes down, okay? It doesn't go down like this. We're, the, we're, we're a bias, agenda-driven, conflicted prosecutor on a witch hunt, puts people in jail for no reason. This is as bad as it gets. And on the heels of this, you now have Devin Nunez and Trey Gowdy, the congressman, accusing the Department of Justice of launching anonymous attacks via leaks on the congressional investigators who are uncovering much of this. This is unreal. This is unreal. Uh, uh, Gowdy said, quote, I would have a lot more respect for DOJ or House Committee Democrats if they would take out their frustrations on members of Congress and leave staffers alone. We, the members, make the final decision and are responsible for them, not our staffers. Attacking staffers, planning false stories and endangering national security by leaking sensitive information in the press, including information about intelligence sources. This is what the DOJ is doing. And this is why trust in the DOJ 
is rapidly eroding in Congress, said Devin Nunez. Our country is in a constitutional crisis and a crisis of confidence with federal law enforcement like it has never been in. It's in its creation 242 years ago. This is as bad as it gets. As bad as it gets. This needs to be shut down. Mueller needs to be under investigation. We need a second special counsel and we need Jeff Sessions to stop in now. Step in now. Stop this nonsense. Because our entire, our entire system is being perverted. This is beyond bad, beyond bad, and it needs to end today. My mind is blown by all this new information about Robert Mueller's impropriety, conflicts of interest, so I had to bring in somebody to help me make sense of it all and calm me down. I'm bringing in my good friend, Patrick Howley, editor-in-chief of Big League Politics. Patrick had a massive win recently alongside Judicial Watch when they helped uncover those allegedly, supposedly, but not really lost, Hillary emails. Patrick, thanks for being here this morning. I always love when you come on because of that picturesque background. You guys are sitting on a mountain somewhere, like men of leisure over there at Big League. That's right. That's what we've tried to do here. It's, yeah, uh, it's are, not a cult, though. We're not a cult. Just have the compound with a lot of Rolls Royces <laughs> and the high fences, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we've got this new information on Mueller. Really, really disturbing. It turns out that we now have even more proof of collusion with the Russians, now on the part of Robert Mueller, uh, with Oleg Deripaska. Now, we've been hearing from the left, from the never-Trumpers, that Oleg Deripaska is the linchpin. He's ironclad proof that Donald Trump is colluding with Russia only Donald Trump sanctioned Oleg Deripaska. Now we find out Robert Mueller worked with him. And the agent who recruited Deripaska, this all goes back to the Robert Levinson case. Let me just explain to the audience. 2007, a retired FBI agent named Robert Levinson was working for the CIA inside Iran, presumably sniffing around their nuclear programs. Iranians found him. Levinson is taken hostage in 2009. We, 11 years later, we still don't know where Levinson is. We got proof of life around 2009, 2010. Since then... Not a word, nothing on the radar. He's either dead or on ice in an Iranian prison. It's unfortunate. But around 2009, none other, Patrick, than Andrew McCabe, and it always comes back to McCabe, recruits Deripaska to spend $25 million of his own money. The guy's an aluminum billionaire oligarch. $25 million of his own money to launch a search and rescue effort for Levinson. They're successful. They get a ransom deal in 2010. State Department allegedly squashes it. They don't like the terms. But now we have ironclad proof because Deripaska confirmed the story. His lawyer confirmed the story. The Levinson family confirmed the story. And the FBI agent around the case confirmed the story. We have ironclad proof that Deripaska worked for Robert Mueller and the FBI. And Mueller never disclosed this. Not only did he work for the FBI, but he actually told them very early on that there was no collusion between right. Trump and Russia. And they wouldn't take him seriously. They said, keep an open mind. Right, right. And now, now what bothers me is why would Deripaska put 25 million bucks for the FBI? What did McCabe and Mueller have on him? Russian oligarchs aren't known for being generous with the United States. Well, you know, beginning in 2016, during the campaign, right around the time of the convention in Cleveland, there were a lot of uh, sort of psyop efforts going on um, and people being sent in uh, to be near the Trump campaign. 
Um, of course, he had just won the Republican nomination. And so there were a lot of people that were hanging out. It was a scene, man. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, they, they sent in like some of these Russians, I think. Like you've got this guy, Papadopoulos, and I'm not entirely sure where he's from, but he uh, was being surveilled by the FBI at all times. We reported that at all times. He was under FBI surveillance. There's no way he didn't know about that and wasn't complicit. Uh, and so there are a few other people, too, that were spying for the FBI. Well, you know, you know what's interesting? Quick side note. So I'm uh, down in D.C. last week, and uh, I, I'm, I'm not a conspiratorial guy at all. And I'm sitting with a friend of mine who's a pretty senior federal agent. He's run intelligence groups in his respective agency. And we were blown away by the amount of Iranians at the Trump Hotel bar, and many of them really attractive women flirting with guys who appeared to be relatively significant in federal service. And I looked at him, I said, this is what we think it is. And he goes, I think this is what we think it is. I mean, one, one after the other, I go to Trump, I stay at Trump, but I'm in DC. I go to that bar I, too often. I know the bartenders. I've never seen that many Iranians who were gorgeous women at the bar. I, that's not coincidence in light of what's going on. No, and John Kerry was just meeting with some Iranians. Oh, yeah, uh, this he was. Yep. 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 That was uh, a whole nother nightmare. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so we've got this situation now where we find this, uh, this conflict of interest between Mueller and this Russian oligarch. We know McCabe recruited this guy. Mm -hmm. Where is Jeff Sessions? You've been on this story every day. I've got to cover a multitude of stories being on air. You've been pretty laser focused. Big League does as well, but you guys have done exceptional work. You've been very laser focused on Mueller and Hillary. What sure. in the world is going on with Jeff Sessions? Well, we do not take a side in the argument between the Q uh, followers who believe that Jeff Sessions is good and playing 4D chess, as Larry Schweikart argues on our site, or the people who say that Jeff Sessions is terrible and he's in the swamp with Rod Rosenstein. So we have both points of view. And but which one do you think? You're a good investigative reporter. I happen which to one holds water? I happen to think that if President Donald Trump wanted a different attorney general, he could get a different attorney general, considering that he's been longtime friends with Jeff Sessions. So that tells me right there that since Sessions was not one of the numerous ones that got fired, there is something to, the, to Jeff Sessions. Let me tell you something, and I'll say this, and I haven't said it on the show. I have been incredibly critical of Jeff Sessions. I still am incredibly critical of Jeff Sessions, but I had somebody incredibly close to the administration tell me last week layoff sessions there's something going on and it's somebody who has been incredibly critical of sessions who's very who's who's at the white house often who said there's a lot more going on here things are going to start happening layoff sessions so i've been a little less critical of sessions i haven't backed off my criticism because i still believe in optics and messaging and the public needs red meat. The base needs a little bit of red meat. Give them something. Mm -hmm. Something. A charge McCabe. Do something. But I have to tell you, I was shocked when I got the phone call asking me to lay off Sessions by this particular person. Well, you know, Sessions is a smart guy. I happen to think the fact that he recused himself in the case is one of the greatest blunders of political strategy ever in history. I can't see any other way where him recusing himself was a good thing. Right. However... Trump hasn't fired him, so he must be doing well, something. Well, I think he recused himself because early on, I think Sessions trusted the process. And he went to Rosenstein, who I believe is a bad actor. And Rosenstein said, you should recuse yourself. And Sessions recused himself. 
And his biggest mistake was trusting the process, but he existed in it for 30 some odd years. How many years as a senator? So he, you know, listen, I don't care how smart you are. When you've been trained and you have muscle memory over so many years, uh, Patrick, you still with us? I thought we, oh, there we go. We had a little glitch in your audio and video. But when you've been trained so many years to do things a certain way and follow protocol, I think it's very difficult to deviate from that your first week on a new job. Yeah, well, he shouldn't have been attorney general then. That was a terrible position for him. That's where we agree. That's where we wholeheartedly agree. All right. So let's talk about this new revelation because it goes to some of the things you're investigating on. We've got this new agent, Joe Pienka. Not a new agent. He was one of the agents in the room with Peter Stroke when General McCabe, when uh, General uh, Flynn, oh my God, I can't believe I said that. When General Flynn was interviewed, a guy that Andrew McCabe hated because of the case with Agent Robin Gritz, who McCabe was trying to force out of the bureau and General Flynn went to bat for her. You've got Stroke and Pienka in General Flynn's office interviewing him. General Flynn thinks it's a routine meeting with the FBI as national security advisor. Both of the agents, even Stroke, who despised Donald Trump, and Pienka didn't believe that General Flynn lied. They thought he was being truthful. Why do you think Pienka's been on ice that we haven't heard his name? One of two reasons, in my opinion. He's either complicit and Mueller kept him on ice to avoid this problem, or he's cooperating with the OIG because he doesn't want to go out the way McCabe did. Well, I think uh, either one of those uh, sounds possible. Uh, you know, General Flynn did not do anything wrong, by Nothing. the way. Nothing. And this has come out uh, now that even the FBI admitted they had nothing on him. Right. And Mueller keeps pushing back Flynn's sentencing. So why why does he keep pushing back Flynn's sentencing if Flynn has already pleaded guilty? Why does he keep delaying it? Well, this is all just politics. Well, I think he's delaying it because Flynn's lawyers are delaying it because they know they didn't get exculpatory evidence. That they mm-hmm. had, had they had that exculpatory evidence, they never would have taken that plea. I think Mueller is agreeing because he doesn't want a public showdown where the judge turns around and says, Mr. Mueller, you better take this delay. You better agree to their motion or I'm going to dismiss this case outright. You withhold exculpatory evidence. And I think Mueller thinks if he can push it and push it and push it and push it, that one day the case will just quietly go away and the judge will quietly dismiss it when this drops in the news cycle because this is a public embarrassment to Robert Mueller and it would require his whole investigation being shut down. Well, they're just trying to take out all these administration guys. And That's right. By the way, by the way, Anthony Scaramucci is next. The Mooch. You think so? Is going down. The Mooch. No, no, I'm <laughs> kidding. I'm kidding. I was like, wait, did he listen? Anthony Scaramucci's hair is so glorious it gets him out of any problem. He gets like a pass. Him. He gets a pass because of that. Hair. I wish. He looks like, I like him. It's, he looks like yeah. Secretariat, like a glorious racehorse. It's chestnut. It's amazing. But, uh, but no. But but seriously. So you got this agent Pienka, and in any investigation on the planet if two law enforcement guys let alone two senior fbi agents went to a prosecutor and said we don't believe this person lied as james comey loves to say patrick no reasonable prosecutor would prosecute that case just wouldn't happen yes and in fact we have a big story today about james comey james comey allowed this columbia law professor daniel richmond to uh look at the uh, servers um, and access classified information. And then this Daniel Richmond person was the person who actually leaked the classified information. And now we have evidence uh, and the woman is on the record. Uh, she's a partner at the law firm that Natalie Veselkaya had her meeting yes. at. Yes. And he and she lives in the same apartment building with the Daniel Richmond and they wow. spoke during this period. And what did he tell her? She won't say, but obviously, you know, they were talking and this was all just a coordinated effort. 
So this, so Comey, so with this woman's uh, non-testimony, but her acknowledgement that she spoke with Richmond seems to indicate is that uh, Comey was part of this conspiracy, let's call it, to get Veselkaya into Trump Tower to make it look like the Trump campaign was doing something wrong. Yes, that's right. And meanwhile, Peter Comey, James Comey's brother, uh, is a top executive at DLA Piper, which performed the independent audit of the Clinton Foundation around this very same time. Yeah, it's all very incestuous. And as we know, one of the uh, former Comey, Mueller, McCabe cronies, uh, his name escapes me right now, but he was the head of CrowdStrike, which was funded exclusively by Tim Geithner and Eric Schmidt from Google to Hillary Clinton allies. They were the only entity on the planet allowed to look at the DNC server, even the FBI wasn't. And CrowdStrike, without oversight or independent audit or uh, law enforcement review, determined it was a hack not an internal breach. I mean, all of this is really incestuous, really dirty, and begs a lot of questions. But is there anyone willing to ask them? Now, you've been digging into this. What do you make of Christopher Ray? Good actor, bad actor, indifferent, afraid to fight the swamp. Bad actor. Yeah, see, I can't get a read on Ray. Why do you think he's a bad actor? I mean, that's just what I've heard. Um, you know, he obviously is not doing anything to help Trump or help our democracy get healed after this horrible process. Um, but I think this is uh, coming to an end. I think that uh, what, what, when you have this story about the uh, spies inside the Trump campaign right. and all the things that James Comey did with the classified leaks and uh, you have Mueller with the uranium and, uh, and I now think it's a relationship with Deripaska of all people yeah. could have been any oligarch, but it's Deripaska. <laughs> it's I mean, it's got to come to yeah. an end. How do you keep it going? But here's what bothers me. If the media won't fight hard enough. Now, the media is never going to fight. But if Jeff Sessions is a good actor, why is he allowing DOJ, which he runs, to still stonewall Congress on the release of documents? With one phone call, he can call the president, say, Mr. President, declassify it all. I'm going to release it. Boom. Or Jeff Sessions could call Ray and say, release these documents today or you're fired. Yes. And maybe this is the test. If he doesn't do this soon, then he should be fired. All right. So what should we be looking for? As you dig into these stories... What should the public be looking at? What angle are they not looking at that they should be? You know, I think just the fact that um, so many uh, FISA courts were violated and uh, so many um, laws were broken as these people put together these dossiers and worked with foreign intelligence to covertly get information, and it was all wrong. And it, it was just uh, this awful thing that happened in our FBI and our intelligence agencies with these people on their way out doing these nasty, horrible things. And I think people are really sick by it, and they see President Donald Trump as the champion, the, the victim of this, but he's not a victim because he's fighting. And, uh, you know, I think they're rallying around him. We have the majority of the country now supporting President Donald Trump. So we do. I think yeah. if Trump wins this, uh, this is this is going to be pretty historic. And then he's going to be able to really govern. Can you imagine what this guy could have done if he was able to actually govern the country? It would be you know, incredible. Even The Washington Post ran a story today where Democrats are saying not so fast about this blue wave. Trump is pretty damn popular. I think we might be in for a little rude awakening here as as uh, as these. Well, obviously, four GDP is uh, going to be pretty bad for the Republicans. I'm seeing a blue wave. Are you really? No. no yeah, no, I was going to say. No, yeah. but, most Democrats don't even know when a midterm election is happening. No, they really don't. And, you know, I, I was talking to the chairman of the— uh, 2014, uh, we dominated them. talking to the chairman of the uh, Virginia GOP yesterday, and he made a good point. I was, I was on a phone call with him and a couple of people, and he said, 
Today's Democratic Party reminds him of the Republican ticket in 96, Dole Kemp. Unexciting, mm -hmm. solid establishment, nothing to offer, nothing new, nothing fresh, going up against Bill Clinton, like larger than life Bill Clinton, right? And it was a really, I thought he drew a really good parallel, a really mm -hmm. good comparison with that. I think the Democrats are in, are in really big trouble. All right, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you. <clears throat> so there was another dump of emails, uh, March 30th, the work you did alongside Judicial Watch that you uncovered, Hillary's emails, the really big tranche, the one we're all waiting for is September 28th, 2018. Did we learn anything new about the March 30th uh, uh, tranche of emails since we last spoke? Was anything earth shattering in there, anything interesting in there? Yes, uh, obviously you have um, you know Hillary Clinton talking to a whole lot of people in the Middle East, um, including in Iran uh, during this period. Uh, she's supporting, um, you know, the, this is proven now that she supported the Al Qaeda group that became ISIS, Al Qaeda in Iraq. The Washington Wait, so in Post, those in those emails, everything we, called me crazy when I first said that, and I was Patrick. Right. Patrick, back up, back up. So in those emails released on March 30th, the communications between Hillary and actors in the Middle East that eventually morphed into or assisted ISIS, those communications were within that tranche of emails. It is clear that there is more evidence. Yes, that uh, Hillary Clinton did, in fact. Uh, organize and um, offer active support to al-Qaeda in Iraq. Now, was any of this... Which became was, ISIS. Was any of this done through Benghazi? Is there any tie to Benghazi there and why you tried yes. to... Uh, because that was, so that it was a weapons gun act. Running. They were gun running. Uh, they, they had sold so many weapons to the al-Qaeda groups in Libya that they needed to set up that consulate to go and try to buy back uh, some of the weapons. So they were sent in on a covert mission and they got tipped off to it because Hillary Clinton was putting uh, Ambassador Stevens's location all over her private email server, which was breached in the Middle East right before this happened. This is this is so bad. This is absolutely, absolutely terrible. So they're going through uh, these emails, right? So these emails, how many were released in the last tranche? A few more thousand. Have they all been sorted through, or there might, might we still find some interesting things out here? No, they haven't. Uh, they're, they're, you know, uh, still being looked through. Who, ha who has them right now? Judicial Watch? Yeah, and they're, and they're released as well. They are. Where can the public find them if they want to take a look? Um, we will uh, put them up on our site. Oh, you will? So they'll be on Big League Politics? Yes. All right, great. So what we'll do is we'll, uh, when, when are you going to put those up? Because I want to have you back on right after you do. I'll put them up today. Oh, you will. All right. So let's uh, plan on having you back next week after you've had time to run through them. Let's talk about some new revelations, if any. Absolutely. All right. Patrick Halley, editor in chief, Big League Politics. These you're are very, great times, John. You're very clandestine today. You're very, very cryptic, very secretive. I, I feel like uh, you're waiting for the black helicopters to come get you. Not at all. Not at all. We <laughs> are. Uh, I think we're winning. We're doing very well. And it was winning. And I think uh, people are uh, really happy about it. All right, sounds good, man. We'll have you back on next week. Patrick Howley, Editor-in-Chief, Big League Politics. Thanks. Thank you. Turkey, you know, our wonderful NATO ally, Turkey, whose leader Erdogan comes to the United States and has his security detail beat up Americans. You know that Turkey. The Turkey we're supposed to still tolerate. Well, after... Uh, the United States did the right thing, something that should have been done decades ago, something that was recognized in 1995. Of course, I mean, Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. And after Donald Trump, the only president with the guts 
accelerated the move of the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem and opened the embassy this week, well, Turkey recalled its ambassadors to the United States and Israel over the move. CNN ran a story here, and CNN must be loving this. They must love it. They love everybody who hates the United States. Uh, the Turkey, let me read part of this. Turkey is recalling its ambassadors to the U.S. and Israel in an official protest of the Trump administration's decision to move the U.S. embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Now, uh, like I said, CNN must be loving it. Erdogan said Monday that the United States' decision to move its embassy to Jerusalem from Tel Aviv shows that the U.S. prefers to become part of the problem rather than the solution, end quote. No, Erdogan, no. We are just sick of being held hostage by Hamas. The embassy should have been in Jerusalem decades ago, and no one had the guts to do it because they were terrified of Hamas terrorists in Gaza. Trump is not. He understands the Reagan doctrine of peace through strength, peace there's superior firepower, and it's not even mutually assured destruction anymore. Our military is rebuilding. We're producing oil and gas. It's, it's we can assure you, we will destroy you. No longer mutually assured destruction. It's be sure the U.S. will destroy you. And the world is much safer and much more stable as a result. When you look back at what Obama did to this world, I, I want to, it gets me sick. Erdogan also said, quote, with his latest step, meaning the embassy move. The United States has lost its role as mediator in the Middle East peace process, end quote. He means doormat. He spelt doormat wrong. He spelt appeaser wrong. That was all we were under Obama. We were appeasing doormats for Hamas. The Muslims said jump, and Obama said how high. And that was all it was about. Erdogan also went on to say that the move is, quote, a most unfortunate decision to execute we once again regret this decision that violates international law, end quote. Now, that is about the dumbest comment I've ever heard. The United States choosing to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, something that we did via congressional approval back in 95, something Israel recognizes, violates international law. Now, apparently, according to Erdogan and the Muslims, two sovereign nations are not allowed to decide where the capital of one of those nations is. The international community has to do it. Well, no, they don't. And that's what has guys like Erdogan, a nervous wreck, that Trump and Netanyahu couldn't care less about the globalists who appease Muslims and third world dictators in, in whole countries. Too bad. So sad. During his remarks in London, Erdogan was also quoted by Andalou, uh, Turkish state media, as saying, quote, Israel is a terrorist state, end quote. End quote. What Israel is doing is a genocide, end quote. Now he's talking about the 55 Palestinians Oh, I mean, Hamas terrorists killed in Gaza. 2,700 injured. Well, I'll tell you what. Don't allow, don't allow Hamas terrorists to stir you up. This is ridiculous. This is so ridiculous. I was speaking to somebody, a former uh, Israeli consul general uh, yesterday. And uh, he said to me, I said, what's going on over there? And he said, Hamas is stirring up unrest in Gaza. They've got 30,000, 40,000 people running around because they have Hamas terror cells trying to make incursions into Israel and other places. I said, wait a minute, this is a big diversion? He said, yep, it's what they do, it's their MO. Our intelligence has known that for years. And that's why the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, is killing these guys in other places along the Strip. It needs to be done. Very simple. If Hamas terrorists stop trying to kill Israelis, if Hamas terrorists stop trying to get into Israel, presumably to go bomb things in Jerusalem during the celebrations, 
the IDF wouldn't be killing Hamas terrorists. Palestinians wouldn't be injured. Really, really very simple. Now, the only reason there's unrest is because guys like Bill Clinton and, and George W. Bush and Barack Obama, especially Barack Obama, well, they kept ceding ground to Hamas and Gaza. Hamas never should have been given Gaza. It's not the Palestinians who got Gaza. Let's make no mistake about this. It is Hamas. It is Hamas. Now, Hezbollah has been relatively quiet over there in Lebanon. But with an emboldened Iran, oh my God, if Hillary Clinton were, were president of the United States, if Hillary Clinton were president of the United States, Israel would be in serious jeopardy of an invasion, of, of mass casualty incident. But Hezbollah is relatively quiet. We don't know if they're going to be reactivated. They're right there. They're a puppet of Iran. Hamas and Iran are very close. It's really uh, by the grace of God, literally, maybe, that those two haven't decided to cooperate militarily yet. But I think it's because Hezbollah wants to uh, legitimize themselves a bit more in Lebanon. Kind of like when, you know, mob, the mob, wise guys, decide to go legit. And so they stop leaving bodies on the street to create that, that illusion of legitimacy for a little while. Don't worry. They'll go back to their old ways. But at least we have a stronger United States and a rock-solid U.S.-Israel alliance to squash that very, very quickly. So Benjamin Netanyahu wasted no time responding to Erdogan. Erdogan uh, made that comment, and Netanyahu took to Twitter this morning, and he said, quote, Erdogan is among Hamas's biggest supporters, and there is no doubt that he well understands terrorism and slaughter. I suggest that he not preach morality to us. Did not disagree with the word Benjamin Netanyahu says. I rarely do. He's a brilliant guy. Tough as nails. He really is uh, Donald Trump. They're very much the same guy. That's why this alliance terrifies the world. That's why this alliance terrifies the globalists. But um, I've got to tell you, uh, I, am, I am very, very concerned about Turkey. Now, we have, <clears throat> we have strategic assets in Turkey. We have an air base in Turkey. Turkey is strategically located, still a member of NATO. We have F-35 sales about to go off to Turkey. Um, we sell arms to Israel as well, but because of the NATO alliance, I'm very uncomfortable with the level of military cooperation we have with Turkey. The Kurds have been uh, some of our best assets against the terrorists. Turkey hates the Kurds. They would love to kill every last one of them. But then again, Turkey did help us grab up these five ISIS fighters last week. And so it's a really odd relationship. Uh, Jordan, to me anyway, is a, is a much more stable, predictable, and friendly coalition partner. And Jordan, as a coalition partner, understand something else Donald Trump has done. Donald Trump has created a coalition with Jordan, Saudi Arabia, Muslim nations. Israel is part of that coalition, and they're seeing Israel as an equal. That is the, the, the massive foreign policy win for the Trump administration not being underreported, nobody, even right-wing media, really isn't reporting it. Donald Trump got nations like Jordan and Saudi Arabia to accept Israel as an equal partner in a coalition against Middle East aggression. That's what's terrifying Turkey. Turkey can no longer play these games. And I'm so glad Netanyahu called out Erdogan, but I think we really need to uh, be very vigilant about this. We need to stay on top of this because I don't predict that Erdogan is going to, uh, anytime soon, turn into a nice guy. I predict that this is going to be much more of the same, that we're going to be dealing with a very bad actor in Turkey. He's becoming much more radical. 
Turkey is becoming much less secular. And I, I really don't think it's that much of a stretch for Turkey to start to look a lot like Iran in the short term. Something we really need to keep an eye on. The left, Democrats in particular, are up in arms over a question on the 2020 census that asks the audacious question as to whether or not people are citizens. Of course they are, because they want illegal aliens to be able to vote en masse and to turn this country blue irrevocably. Now, uh, this is from Newsmax. A 2020, <clears throat> excuse me, U.S. Census citizenship question could water down the population count and other important data critics. But federal officials say the information is needed to ensure voting accuracy. The latter part of that statement is very true because if you don't know how gerrymandering works, districting for congressional districts, it's all based on census and population apportionment. The more population in a certain area, the congressional districts, the more congressional districts. In other words, they try to apportion congressional districts based on a percentage of that state's population. So if, say, the, each state is entitled to X percent of their population getting a congressional district, well, the denser population areas, the area around cities, will have more districts. But if it turns out that a large portion of the people in that area can't vote because they're not citizens, well, district grows. So you might have one district covering that area instead of two. You might have one less member of Congress and we'll put uh, other districts in areas that are more dense with citizens. Well, critics don't like that because this would, this would eliminate representation of illegal aliens, which it should <clears throat> because they're not citizens. That's what they're afraid of. So if you didn't understand what all the, the, the hysteria was about this, that's what it's about. Well, critics are trying to say, no, it's trying to de delegitimize those who aren't citizens. And for purposes of the U.S. Census, when it comes to gerrymandering and congressional apportionment, it should because that portion of the census is reserved for voters. Now, Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross is telling everybody to calm down. He says the move doesn't mean, quote unquote, the sky will fall. <clears throat> Excuse me. He also says that, quote, 61 million families have already been exposed to the question and the sky is not falling. So I don't think the sky will fall when we add it to the census itself in 2020. Now, the citizenship question will be the last one on the census form. And, uh, Commerce Secretary Ross says, quote, so that someone who, for whatever reason, feels uncomfortable with that question, at least they can deal easily with the questions which, which, with which they are not uncomfortable. In other words, if you don't like the question, don't answer it. Don't answer it. And answer all the other ones first that we need to know for demographic data. And if you don't like it, don't answer it. But if you don't answer it and you are a citizen, you might not get congressional representation. If you don't answer it and you're not a citizen, so be it. Commerce Department's going to spend about half a billion dollars on advertising the census. And the secretary says that people don't have to worry about their privacy being abused. But uh, he said, we're also taking extreme measures for cybersecurity so that we can try to protect uh, as best one can against intrusions there. Now, 17 states are suing Commerce and the Census Bureau over the change. It did draw lots of opposition, Secretary Ross said. It also drew lots of support. It's not a novel question. He's 100% right. This question is critical. So again, to explain why we do this. <clears throat> if you don't understand how these things work, term gerrymandering 
means assigning boundaries of a congressional district and deciding how many districts there are. And gerrymandering now is used more commonly when districts have changed. Been accused of Democrats trying to do this to pick up seats in Congress. And uh, there's some weight to that because these lawsuits, one of the lead attorneys on these lawsuits, both for the census question and the gerrymandering that you're seeing around the country, most notably in Pennsylvania, is none other than former Attorney General Eric Holder, a guy so far left he falls off San Francisco when he wakes up in the morning. So again, here's how it works. You have a state. That state has X number of people in the population. And that population is broken down and the state says, okay, a congressional district is made up of this many of of those people. So for argument's sake, if a state has uh, 3 million people and they say a congressional district is made up of 300,000 people, the state will have 10 congressional districts. There'll be 10 representatives from Congress to that state. Now, if the state has a few small cities and rural farm and ranch land, well, the majority of those 10 districts are probably going to be around those cities, and cities tend to be blue. However, if a good portion of those people in those cities answer, we are not citizens or don't answer, but everybody in the more rural areas answer, we are citizens, well, then that might shift a little bit. So those urban areas might get seven congressional districts, and those rural areas might get three or six and four. And so it shifts back a little bit red. That's why Democrats are terrified of this question. Because it, there's, there's a lot of ways you can commit voter fraud. It doesn't have to be at the ballot box. Another way, in a very hidden way, until the Trump administration, Secretary Ross, was to assign congressional districts to areas with large illegal alien populations. And then there'd be very small turnout of citizens who would vote predominantly Democrat. This is another way to stop silent voter fraud via census fraud, via apportionment fraud, via fraudulent gerrymandering. And I think this question is not just not a novel question, as the secretary says, I think this is arguably the most important question on the upcoming 2020 census.